Well, good morning. It is wonderful to hear the hum of fellowship, but it needs to stop now. <laughs> if you want to chat through the reading of the word of the Lord, Roy, Jim, and Jason, you can all certainly continue to do that. Uh, I tend to view it as the sovereign, immutable. Christmas, yes, thank you. So for, for Christmas, um, we're going to do a Christmas Eve service and not a service on Christmas Day or Christmas evening, right? So that would be Saturday, right? Saturday evening, 6 o'clock, 6.30. We're not figuring this out on the fly. It has been figured out, I promise you. 6.30 p.m., Saturday night, Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, we will do a candlelit service, even though this place is a tinderbox, ready to go at any moment. Um, so it keeps it fun. Give your kids a candle, let them run around. Love it. That's why we have insurance. In fact, I encourage them to sprint with it. You know, let's get this place rebuilt. So that's Saturday night, 6.30 p.m. All right? Great. So we are uh, continuing through the book of Genesis. Pastor John will be preaching. We're in Genesis chapter 9. And this morning we'll be in verses 11 through 17. And the word reads like this. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. This is the word of God. They have left the ark. That small family, eight people, Noah, his three sons, their wives, and his wife. They had been in the ark for approximately 370 days. Over a year, they had been born through by God's sovereign plan through the righteous judgment that came to the earth. God had seen the wickedness of men and He cut it off there at this moment through the flood. We don't know what they were thinking in the ark, nor do we know exactly what they were thinking when they left the ark. 
but they certainly were glad to be free of the ark. People are not meant for boats for long periods of time, regardless of what the retirement plans and cruise ships you see are out there tell you. They left that ark and they set foot upon a new world, or we should say a reordered world, one that looked different than the one that they left when they were on the ark. And that's where we pick up the story today. That's where we pick up this narrative in the first, or excuse me, the last three verses of chapter 8, and then 9, 1 through 17. It said in verse says in verse 20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. His first act of leaving the ark was an act of worship. His first act of leaving the ark was to take one of each of the clean animals that he was given and to kill them as a sacrifice to honor the Lord. His first act was to kill these animals of which there are not a great number, the only ones that are left on the planet. This is the sum total of all those animals and birds that would be on the face of the earth or contained in the ark, in his act, unprescribed by the Lord, is to take one of each of what is referred to as the clean animals and to sacrifice that to God. Now what I'm thinking is, is we have a fixed number of animals, and now we're taking a certain number of those and just killing them. This is all we got. It shows a level of trust of Noah in what God's plan is to do what he's doing, to sacrifice to the Lord, to honor God. It shows that Noah would definitely affirm Psalm 24, verse 1. If you'll take a moment and turn there with me and you'll see these words. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Noah is sacrificing those things that God has made in a manner of honoring God at that moment for what God has done to save them. I can't help but think in Sunday school class today that uh, our teacher brought about the fact that we can pray the Lord's Lord, the word, the Lord's words back to Him. Aren't we seeing that here with the sacrifice? God has created these birds and these clean animals, and He is sacrificing those same things back to the Lord, saying, "I trust in what You're doing, God." I'm trusting in what you have established. I'm trusting that you have saved us. And therefore, I am sacrificing this to honor you because that is the best thing I can do for worship to demonstrate my trust and faith in you at this moment. 
It is an interesting thing that, Mo, that Noah has done, something that we may have some difficulty with because we don't think of sacrifice in those terms. But Noah knows that everything is the Lord's. He has just lived through an unbelievable demonstration of that through the cataclysmic flood that destroyed the earth. He doesn't hold on to the animals hoping that they are going to be there to repopulate. He doesn't know the full scope. Remember this. He doesn't know the full scope of what is required of him. He was only known that he was to build an ark that he was to take his family, these animals, inside of it, and now he's been freed from that ark. Remember, he wasn't given the whole story in the beginning. He wasn't given all the instruction in the beginning of what was to occur because of this. You know how I know that? Because the text doesn't tell us what he was given. The text was only, to only told us that he was to build an ark, to take his family, to take these certain animals into it, and that God would see them through the flood. So he takes those out, he gives that offering. I can't help but bring us into a, a, an application here for us. If we, are to, if we were to stop right now with whatever we're saying about the word, I would leave you with this. That, Moses, uh, that Noah was in this ark and he was born through a great cataclysm, cataclysmic flood to a new shore where he landed and the doors were open, and he was let out with his family, and in, with the animals, and if that is not an act, a salvific act there, I don't know what is. But it had to feel so free, and we are free, and we are alive in this. Jesus does that same thing for us as Christ followers. If you take nothing more from today, know this. He is like that ark that Noah was put into. He is that thing that we are put into. We are put into Jesus. We are enrobed in His righteousness. right? We are promised to be born through the difficulties and the afflictions of this life, through the storms of this life, into another world. Into a new world that He is creating. Do not forget this. This is what we are seen as. We are in Christ. He is our salvation. We will land in that shore of heaven. We will be born into a new land, a new heaven, and a new earth with new bodies. When those doors open for us into the heavenly realms, we will see the truth of Ephesians 2.6, which tells us that He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is our position as we stand right now. The shadows of the ark that we see here. Uh, I want to remind of the title. Uh, I titled this, Taking Back the Rainbow. The rainbow is prominent in this story. And... I had some misgivings about that title only because there's nothing to take back. The rainbow has always been God's. 
It has never been anybody else's, no matter who appropriates the symbol. It has always been God's sign. And that sign of that rainbow should be overarching over this entire message. We should see that sign of that rainbow that we're going to get to shortly. It should flavor everything that we see and why it's there. We should always remember of God's sovereignty and what He has done in the destruction of the wicked. And it says in verse 24 that the Lord, when the, sac- when the sacrifices were done, the Lord smelled the, so- the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to Himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. These things are done. The things that I have done here in this manner are over with. I will never again do them in such a fashion. I promise you this. I promise you this small coterie of eight people that I will never do it in this fashion again. I will never destroy the earth in the entirety, in this manner, with water again. This is my promise to you. This is what I give to you. Even though your hearts, don't miss this, Noah and his family's hearts are still the same sinful heart that they had before they entered the ark, right? Even though your hearts are still bent away from me to a degree, I will never do this thing again in this manner. You are that line that the seed will come through, Genesis 3.15, right? You're the line of Seth that the seed of salvation will come through. I will never destroy the earth until that whole redemptive plan is taken care of. What I am giving you is stability. You have lived through the chaos of the past year plus of a cataclysm unlike anything that is ever seen. It has been unstable and chaotic, but for the fact that you were kept in this stable little environment while madness was going on all around you. But what I am telling you is there is now stability which I promise to give you. He says in verse 22, while the earth remains and seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night, they shall not cease. The seasons will come and go. You can set your clock to it. The planet will keep revolving around the sun as it has for Countless years up until this point in time, and it will continue in that manner. You will be able to live in such a manner that you will not have to worry about some sort of cataclysm that will come out of the blue. I am giving this to you, and I am promising it before you, and I will writ my signature large in the sky. Hint, it's the rainbow. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to show you how much you can trust in me. Even though the curse of the ground 
is not going to be removed. I am not going to add to it. Notice, he doesn't add additional curses. The curse of the ground that we find in Genesis 3.17 and then again in Genesis 4.11 remains. But I'm not adding more affliction to them. God says, I'm not going to add more affliction to you. This has always been the plan of what's happening here. This has always been the plan of the ark. We take a side note there. We can take us back to what I just said about being found in Christ. When you see, when you see the, the cataclysmic nature of what God has done to destroy the wicked, and then God's words there, the evil of man's heart, you see that the desire of man, even though he sees the, the complete destruction that occurs of the wicked in the flood, that man's heart is still bent away from God and still persists in sin. How often do we think about what happened to those that were drowned in the flood? And we consider that we are worthy of that same thing because of our sin. Right? It should cause some introspection. Right? It says, I will not destroy the earth in the same way again. I'm giving you this stability. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about 2 Peter chapter 3, if you turn there, God will destroy the world again. But He will tell us when He will do such a thing. He gives us the hints, even though we don't know the exact day and the hour, but we are warned again, just like He warned those of Noah's time. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 10. Know this. First of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Think about what they're saying, what, what Peter's saying there. He's talking about all that stability that God has granted. The sun rises, the sun sets, the moon rises, the moon sets day after day after day. People look at that, and like the fool, they say in their heart, there is no God. They look at that and they say, every day the sun will come up like it always has. But there is a warning there. As John Weathersby said a few weeks ago, there is an expiration date on this world too. God warns us. He says, in those days, these mockers will come. These ones that will mock the Lord will come. Hence, taking back the rainbow. We see a lot of people mocking the rainbow. Saying it is the exact opposite of what God has established. He says here in verse 5, For they, when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destru and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, 
that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We have the warning in those days, the things that lead up is an increased mocking of God. He says, you will see the signs. You will know that it is around the corner. You will know that around the bend up there that these things are coming. I have painted the picture for you. Paul would say in Timothy in those days that the people will surround themselves with preachers who look to scratch their itching ears, to preach to them the message that they just want to hear, to preach to them the message that everything's okay. You can do whatever you want. People that would preach to them, that would say that you can sin as much as you want because God's grace abounds. You are acceptable just the way you are. I do not find that anywhere in Scripture. What I do find is God desires at the moment of your salvation that you continue to be sanctified, that you continue to put to death sin in your life, violently so to put to death sin in your life if necessary, to wage an all-out war against the sin in your life and those things that separate you from God. So the warnings are there. God has graciously given stability to what has seemed to be a chaotic world all of a sudden. All the water is now gone. The mountaintops are there. The plants are blooming. The animals are out of the ark. The lucky ones that weren't sacrificed. We have to say it, right? Those are out of the ark. And God says these words. Starting in chapter chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I have destroyed all the wicked and the unrighteous. I have found you to be walking with me, not sinless and not perfect, but walking with me, desiring those things that I desire. Now go and fill the earth. Now go and do this. It is now the time for you to rebuild the planet. This is the the manner in which I am going to do it. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 56. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to His people Israel According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. God's promises never fail. God's word to go forth and fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, never fails. We get the second part of that, and it says, In verse 2 it says, The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. So now the relationship between man and animal has changed. Now they are fearful because He's giving them for food to them. Prior to this, we have a a plant-eating world. Now we have a meat-eating world. 
There is the fear of man has been given over to these animals. God has graciously provided sustenance after the cataclysm. So we see that the immediate result of Noah going through this is when he gets out of the ark, he worships the Lord for all he has done. God gives stability to life that hasn't occurred for the past year plus. He says everything is going to be like this until the final. Right? And then He says, now go and fill the earth. Now I'm giving you, here's the sustenance that you have in this planet. These promises that I'm giving you. These promises that the rainbow will remind us of. You get in verse 3. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you, and I give all to you, and I get, as I gave the green plant. Roll reversals. Now remember, there was all just, just vegetable eating beforehand, plant eating beforehand. Now it's both. Verse 4, the rule, only you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. We talked today in Sunday school class about the nephesh, about the soul of man, the soul and the body intertwined. The blood is seen as that which bears the life in a man, and we would say that that's true. My understanding is that if you lose 20% of your blood, your first immediate result is you will pass out, go into a coma. And then soon after that, life ceases to exist. So blood is exceedingly important. God is saying, you shall not eat this thing. The blood is used for what? Sacrifice. Which we'll see when we get into the Levitical Code later on. Right? The blood is important. We would say here that there are, that at this point in time that some of these things, uh, some of these things with regard to blood are removed later on. We see Peter's vision, right? Go kill and eat of all the things from heaven, right? So all the clean and the unclean is removed. We would see in Acts at the Council of Jerusalem, how can we allow these Gentiles in without getting circumcised and all these other things? They say, yeah, we shouldn't do that. But they say, but let's just, you know, just so they can assimilate with our Jewish uh, congregants for this period of time, let's prevent them from, uh, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't eat anything of blood. Because now, because that's so anti-Jewish, and you have this coalesce, they coalesce together that sometimes we have to refrain from the freedom which we have because it could cause our brother or our sister to stumble, right? So I don't want to talk too much about that, but we just see that the, we see that the importance of the blood that this is given by God, right? Remember, we're all this is all over the shadow of. Of the, of the rainbow writ large. Right? This is all signs of the covenant that is given, that, that, that God is giving here. This isn't a covenant that, Mo, that Noah dreamed up. This is what God is doing. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Verse 5, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man. From every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. 
for in the image of God he has made man. So, worship. God has smelled the, the aroma of that. God has given stability. God has told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God has said, you now have all these animals of which you can eat from, but for the blood. But the blood of any living thing is so important. You shall not kill another man. Murder is forbidden. For if it does occur, then that man's blood shall be required. What we see here now is God has introduced the stability that comes through, and now He is saying you must restrain wickedness. You must restrain the wicked in the world. This is capital punishment writ large. God just demonstrated capital punishment over the course of a year against the wicked. Remember, it said how violent they were. Right? He is saying that those who kill another image bearer, it says because he's made in my image, those who kill another image bearer, who murder another image bearer, notice I'm not talking about self-defense here, but who murder like Cain murdered Abel, Like Lamech murdered a young man, right? That they deserve death. In fact, as he arranges for the civil magistrate for the restraint of evil here, he's saying capital punishment is necessary. If we take a little aside here on this idea, this is where we get capital punishment from. This is where it comes from. It, what, when you restrain wickedness, you are preventing a person from building up the punishment of sin more and more on themselves. You're restraining their hardness of heart from happening to them. To a degree, you are, you are gracefully deal, dealing with that person. And I say this because we know that hell is not flat. We know that there, are great, there is greater punishment for some in hell than there are for others. If their wickedness is restrained even to the point of death, then that is preventing more punishment from given upon them if they're left in their own sinful ways. They have demonstrated their hatefulness of God and His ways by killing an image-bearer of God. Our, our, to murder somebody, that should cause us to recoil from that. This is why murder is bad. The person that's murdered on the street, you say, oh my gosh, how could that happen? And then the second part that's even worse is when you hear about somebody being murdered in their own home. Right? And then you take that one step further and you say to yourself, and I'll just jump on a hobby horse for the moment. This is why when we hear about abortion, at the safest place it should be when they're murdered in the womb, we should recoil at every step along the way about that. It clearly says... 
that whoever murders, your, the murderer's blood is demanded because you have killed an image bearer of God. He is saying this is the only way that this society can function. There has to be bounds. I am, I am enacting boundaries on the stability of all the, uh, of, of all the seasons that are there. I am giving you over all the animals and they're going to fear you. So you're not going to wipe them all out. I'm giving them the stewardship to you to eat them. And now your job is to restrain evil. This is what you need to do uh, to demonstrate that you love me, that you believe my word, that none of my words will ever fail. You must restrain evil. You must not... That in turn means you must not celebrate wickedness or evil. Right? And then he says in verse 7, as for you, he repeats again, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly, multiply in it. So God enacts three institutions in the Scripture. In Genesis 1, he institutes marriage in the family. He enacts this civil magistrate or restraint of evil here in Genesis chapter 9. And then in Matthew 16 and Acts chapter 2, he will institute the church. The three things that, that we see in society, right? The family... Is where society is built up from. We have the civil magistrate to restrain evil and wickedness in the world. And then we have the church who is the body of believers and the unity that is found in them that demonstrates to the looking world of what who the true God is and what life is to be like. So remember this, the rainbow, as we come into verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. This is an everlasting covenant. It is irrevocable. It stands to eternity. It is not taken away. It runs from this time forward, everything he has said. I am establishing this with you. It will not be changed. It will not disappear. It will always be in place. Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. Think about how dependent... Animals are on the seasons wherever they live. You see this covenant is writ large across all of creation to every aspect of creation to both believers and unbelievers. They are benefactors of this gracious covenant. Verse 11, I established my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. 
Neither shall there be there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. Not for some generations, but all successive, every generation that comes after, including yourself, that comes after this one. All generations. Not one left out of this covenant that is worldwide and all-encompassing. I, the Lord God, Yahweh, I set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. And everything in the earth, remember we see that in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, right? Everything is His. This bow, this rainbow that is set in the sky is the sign, my signature, the ratification to show that it forever stands. It is never taken away for everything under the earth. The righteous and the wicked are benefactors of this covenant that I have set. This bow, the word is the same for a hunting bow or for the bow of war that is used. Casually think here for a moment. But the bow is bent with the string on it, with the arrow, and if you take that bow that he sets in the sky and you run a string between end to end on it, it is now pointed heavenward. His wrath which was focused on the earth, he says in this covenant, I'm establishing this thing, and now you see the shadow pointed in the rainbow heavenward. That the next part of the covenants we get, that the next covenant that we get, that we celebrate at Christmas time, when Jesus comes, this bow, this weapon of war, now wrath is faced and pointed towards the sun. That the Son will be sin for those who are sinners. That He will be the one that will be the focus of God's wrath. They don't quite see that yet. But this bow that is set in heaven, this rainbow that is set up there, and understand that we only see the rainbow two more times in Scripture. We see it in Ezekiel one twenty-eight. And then we see it in Revelation 4, 5, and 6. And where is that rainbow set at? At the throne of God. He has signed this covenant and said, no more will I bring the flood about the earth. I will bring stability about the earth. You go forth and, and have children and fill the earth. You must take care of wickedness and restrain it on the earth. And this is the sign of the promise that is here. I have taken this bow and set it in heaven. It is pointing upward to me. What will come in later generations will be the Messiah that comes where that focus is upon. That the next wrath event that comes will be the focus of my wrath on my son to take the sins of all those who believe. This is what I'm going to do. This is why the rainbow 
is such a great symbol. It can be seen by everyone everywhere. On any given day, when the rain falls down and the rain stops and the rainbow is seen, isn't it interesting how the establishment of this thing that, 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 that we have, that, that we can scientifically explain why it is there, yet isn't it interesting that the establishment of it comes after the rain stopped, after the water has receded? He has set this in the sky so that at any given moment you can see the solidity of His promise there before us. You could look up to the sky and say, God has done this thing and He has established this covenant for us. Even if people with perverted ideas try to steal this rainbow back, I do not like hearing Christians say, well, we can't use that because somebody else uses it for this thing. That is the most ridiculous thing in the world. That's almost as ridiculous as saying that Christmas is a pagan holiday. Right? Why do we allow people to take these symbols and we acquiesce to it? We should say, take these advantages and say, sir, ma'am, I understand what you're saying about the rainbow, but this is what it really means. It means that God is not going to destroy the world in the way He was before. That God has given great stability to this planet. That the sun rises and sets and the moon rises and sets and the seasons come and they go and you can set your watch by it. There was a time for planning and for reaping and we can see what God has done and we can point them to the great plan that God has for His creation. That this rainbow is so important because it is everywhere we can see it. Every person has seen one that can see. And we can point to that and say, that is our God has done this thing. Our God has promised this to us. And His promises never fail. Our God, who says that He will solve the sin problem, has set this bow in heaven, pointed at His Son, and said, this is the manner in which I will do it. That this is the One who will bear us through the seas of sin and chaos in our lives. This is the one that we could lay our sins upon Him at the cross. And He will bear those burdens for us. And He will shelter us in His bosom to a new heaven and a new earth. That He will clothe us in His righteousness. And we see the shadows of that whenever we see that rainbow. We don't look for pots of gold at the rainbow. We don't follow little leprechauns. What we do follow is a saving God. And He has set this thing in the sky that millions at once could see it. And say, you must look at this and remember because you know what? When I see it, I remember the covenant that I have set with you. Not that I ever forgot it, but when I see that rainbow, it says, God says, in verse 15, it says, I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh and never again shall water become a flood to destroy the flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it and remember. Remember, that is the remember in God's case here is to look favorably upon men. To look favorably down upon them. 
to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is in the earth. When you look upon it, I am seeing it at the exact same time. When you see that rainbow in the sky, God Himself is seeing it at the exact same time. When you see that rainbow in the sky and you remember the work that God has done to bring you to the point of salvation that you're at, God is remembering that at that time. Jesus Himself sitting on the throne interceding for you. And we look at that rainbow, we should remember those things of what God has done and continues to do. We should not allow that rainbow to be appropriated by things that are anti-God. The things that, the, the, that many that appropriate the rainbow have appropriated for things that are absolutely the antithesis of what God says. We should use every opportunity as we can to be grace-filled people and point out to, this is God's symbol of a covenant. An everlasting covenant. And the fact that you are standing right here right now, and breathing shows that God is gracious and that He is not enacting His judgment at this moment. Please hear this word and come to salvation. Know your Lord and Savior that you can be a new creation. But I'm born this way. And Jesus said you must be born again. Must be born again. We must take this opportunity when we see that cross, or excuse me, see that rainbow. We must remember the cross. We must remember the work that has been done. We must remember the covenants that have been established. We must remember this everlasting covenant that is given here, this irrevocable covenant that is given here. We must remember the Lord and all that He has done for us, affirming what He has done for us, graciously telling people the error of their way, graciously pointing them to the cross where they can cast their burdens and their sinful ways down upon it like we have ourselves, so that they too can cling to the cross for salvation like we do, that we can point to the scope of God's work in salvation, that we ourselves can take them and lead them to the cross, that we could show them the sign of the new covenant, and the cross that is there. So we would take away that the rainbow should remind us of all that God has done. When those raindrops cease to fall and we see that bow set in the sky, that bow that is bent heavenward, that we can remember the work that Christ has done for us, that He bears our burdens for us, that He bears us through the chaotic sea for us, that He takes His sin on for us, and that we are saved through Him, we should proclaim that good news to others that salvation is available for them too. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this opportunity to discuss the sign of the covenant that You have given, this first covenant in the Scripture, this first full covenant that we see that You have given to man. We trust that You will bury it in our hearts, but not so deep that we don't remember, but just 
deep enough that is firmly implanted that we can remember the sign of the rainbow. We can remember the sign of this covenant. We can remember the sign of the cross and put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who bears our iniquities for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and join us while we worship this song. Mm-hmm.